When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Vavil UK's very own Newcastle United podcast, Tyne Warp. How are we all? I'm your host, Harry Roy, and I'm joined, as usual, by Dan Wright and Alex Wood. You may have realised there wasn't a podcast out last week, and that has nothing to do with us recording an Unai Emery announcement special last week. <laughs> but it didn't happen, and the two do have their new head coach, and it is none other than Eddie Howe. We're going to chat about his appointment, as well as the weekend's draw with Brighton, but on to Howe first, Dan happy with him yeah um no problems with the appointment i think we all got quite excited by you and i emery didn't we i mean that's pro- that's the reason why it's not getting uploaded but it would make uh, us look a bit to be fair we did say throughout the whole whole podcast that we didn't want him and eddie howe was like the man we always he was a good to alternative to eddie howe though yeah. wasn't he yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but he was he was an exciting appointment and i and i think at that point if you'd asked me that time last week about eddie howe would have said Maybe a little bit underwhelmed, but I think that is just naive looking back now. Because you look at everything that's been said about him, you look into his career, and he's a young British progressive manager. Everything that we haven't had, he plays attacking football. It, it, it's it's quite exciting for me actually, uh, the football that he plays and what he's going to bring to the table. So yeah, I'm I'm really happy with the appointment. If the last week's podcast had actually come out, we would have heard me. Just non-stop agreeing with Dan, and that's going to continue here. Um, uh, like Eddie Howe is a really smart appointment. Um, if you'd asked all Newcastle United fans when Steve Bruce got sacked, would you take Eddie Howe? 99.9% of them would have said yes. 
Um, and Eddie Howe, we have. Yes, we went on a roller coaster ride where um, Finesca was, was talked about, Frank Lampard was talked about, Stephen Gerrard was talked about, and obviously Unai Emery was talked about. And um, oh, let's not forget my boy Lucien Favre. Let's not forget him either. Um, <laughs> but it's Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe was mentioned from word go, and it, uh, now we've got him over the line. And as Dan said, progressive young English manager taking some time away from the game um, to learn and really readapt his, his situation. The last time that that happened was a bloke called David Moyes, and look where West Ham are now. I'm really, really excited by the appointment of Eddie Howe, I'm not going to lie. Uh, he's won me over. Um, not like I really needed winning over, but of course after the, the whole Emery fiasco, I think we're all a little tad bit underwhelmed that you know a Europa League four-time winning manager was going to not come through the doors and it was going to be Eddie Howe instead. But the way he's conducted himself um, so far... Uh, the, the club are a lot more open now as well under the new ownership we've seen some training videos today this podcast is probably going to come out on Thursday and uh, there'll be a press conference being held which I, I'm, I'm going to which I, I can't wait for myself but how has been a, a breath of fresh air it seems that it's reflected that with, with the players today um, and it seems for once that everybody is is, is fighting in, the one, in one direction everyone's united for once which is, is excellent but there is a part of me that does think the pockets of the fan base will be a little bit underwhelmed just because the, the, the bar I feel everyone thought the bar was going to be set so high when the new owners came in and we were going to like fly into this like new stratosphere immediately and it was never going to happen but are you surprised that they've gone for Eddie Howe as manager because we've heard stuff in the past of it's an appointment that Mike Ashley may have made if he was to let go of Steve Bruce himself I don't think could Newcastle have got Eddie Howe under Mike Ashley well, Quite I don't possibly. think they could have, to be fair. I think I think there's a possibility they could have. It, it, it was being an ambitious one, but it was in the realms of possibility under Mike Ashley. Yeah. It's but it's... Do, that why does that mean it's a bad appointment? Like, we're still in the same situation when Mike Ashley left. We're actually worse in terms of league position. So nothing massively has changed yet. Like, we're all a lot happier about where we are and what have you. But not a lot's changed, so it doesn't... I don't think that's any negative sign, in my opinion. And like you were saying before about um, maybe some not being 100% taken in, I think if you'd asked me the day the takeoff got announced about Eddie Howe, I would have thought maybe we can aim a little bit higher. But that incredibly naive of myself, and I'm sure a lot of people will hold their hands up and say exactly the same. We are 19th in the Premier League, and Eddie Howe's a really good manager. We should all be absolutely delighted and look forward to the next game and get behind him 100%, which I think the reaction to Eddie Howe has been tremendous. I think... He's a really popular choice, and I'm sh- he will he will unite the fan base. Yeah, the other the other point to add is we're mid season currently. Like the options for managerial appointments would have exponentially changed if the takeover had happened in the middle of the summer. It hasn't. Yeah. We're in the mid we're in the middle of a Premier League season. There's no real fluidity. A lot of other clubs, it depends on their positioning and it depends on their results. And it depends who gets sacked, who, who stays and who goes. And I inevitably think that Unai Emery would have looked at Villarreal and um, gone, well, hang on a minute, we we have this project here that can still flourish. Yes, we're not overall doing well in the league, but the Champions League, we have a real shot at qualification. And like, why would I leave this right now? Um, maybe in the summer he could have been twisted his arm because we would have offered him... like probably PSG-level money over the summer and gone, hey, um, Unai, spend as much as you want. But I don't think that will necessarily be be what Eddie Howe gets. 
Um, I, I think it might kind of be, you get what you're given, Eddie. Yeah, I sort of see where you're coming from. I think we're going to chat about a potential new director of football uh, later on in the podcast, which we assume if, if he does come in, we'll, we'll work alongside Eddie Howe, especially on, on the transfer perspective and the fact that he's a head coach and not a manager is a big indication in terms of, of transfer policies going forward. But just looking at the... It's been a bit of a managerial merry, uh, merry-go-round this week, hasn't it, really, with uh, a number of Premier League clubs uh, sacking managers. Norwich have surprisingly sacked Daniel Farker, which I know a lot of people will see, oh, look at the bottom of the Premier League, but I actually think that Daniel Farker, give him a better size, uh, would do would do very, very well. And, and the big news, really, from Aston Villa, a side who, at the minute... Uh, or a little bit above Newcastle in terms of their, their playing stature but it, you know Villa are, are also an ambitious club have got I think the third or fourth richest owners uh, in the league and are looking to push them European places themselves and they've went and sacked Dean Smith and they're looking for a new manager so when you, when you weigh this all up and you, you look at the managers now being linked with Villa it's very similar to who Newcastle are being linked with and it just shows uh, the agents of these of these managers who you know they're just trying to get into a Premier League club I'm talking about Fonseca and, and Lucien Favre but do you think that Howe was the best option out there because I'm I'm looking at Villa's like potential appointments here and it's Steven Gerrard Frank Lampard so you know managers who are somewhat improving in the league and some from overseas who've never really stepped foot in the English game so I, I look at them and go, I'd rather have Eddie Howe over all of their managers that have been rumoured with them jobs. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the Premier League track record, sometimes people look down on him because he has that relegation on his CV. But it, there's factors to it. Like, they had lots of injuries. I'm not sure who was in charge of recruitment at Bournemouth that season, but they had a lot to answer for in, in the relegation. And, yeah, he got relegated, but he, what people should go on about is he kept them up. Bournemouth, with a ground of about 10,000 people, and he kept them up for four seasons. He got the yeah, mid-table. Exactly. I think they finished ninth once. Like, it's an unbelievable achievement to keep them up for four years. So I, I don't know why people are using this relegation as some the, the fella that got Bournemouth relegated to, to tarnish his reputation because he's done one of the best jobs in English football in the modern era at that football club. It's ridiculous, and it, it doesn't get talked about enough. And uh, also the other thing that doesn't get talked about enough is, yes, some of the transfers flopped. Like, um, yes, you can say Dominic Solanke and Jordan Ibe were the big flops, but mm-hmm. you've got to remember, he brought Tyrone Mings to the Premier League guy. He's now uh, playing for England to eat mm-hmm. every time he gets picked. You, you have Nathan Ake that was record, the record sale for Bournemouth. Like, there are a lot of players, and obviously Callum Wilson, he, uh, he's, he's there on all. Like, there were a lot of players that Bournemouth did produce that actually went on and kicked it kicked on further and did that yes there's a lot of players that they, that didn't but that's the game of transfer windows so like if people are suggesting his transfer policy as well he did get some busts and he did get some success but the season he was relegated it was a very very weird season anyway like it was mm-hmm. a crazy crazy premier league season so yeah uh, again i agree with dan like look at the five years that he uh, as a whole, not just the one season he got relegated. And also with that season that did go down, if Hawkeye was working, Bournemouth would have true, stayed up. Very true. And second of all, he, he lost Ryan Fraser in March because he didn't want to play on, because he didn't want to get injured. That was arguably one of the most important players in their team. So, so to lose him was, was huge. And Alex, you, you talked about there as well about transfers and Eddie Howe's not got the best reputation for, for like bringing in players. But if you look at every single manager in world football, you're going to find flops, aren't you? 
you know, Guardiola's brought in some pretty horrific players to Man City over the years. I mean, they spent how much on defenders? Like half a billion quid and they've finally got a decent back four. <laughs> Klopp's had some awful buys. You look at every manager in world football, you can pin some bad transfers. Rafa Benitez had some horrific transfers at Newcastle. Yoshinori Muto uh, off the top of my head in particular. So if, if you look deep in everyone, you, you'll find faults. I just think it's very, very harsh on Eddie Howe, especially when you know you said he's brought in the likes of Atke and... And even when he was at Burnley, he brought in Danny Ings, who's uh, still, to this day, a top, top Premier League striker. But another thing you touched on before there, Alex, as well, was like, if this was in the summer, I don't think Eddie Howe would have gotten either job personally. I think they would have went for a, a top European manager. And I think a lot of the guys they've went for, or maybe you know the likes of an Eric Tenage, a top, top manager, frightened about the prospect of relegation. And I think a lot of them are a little bit cautious, whereas opposed to in the summer, I think they would have, you know, came in, open checkbook, the only way's up, and they've not, you know, that, that's not possible this season. House contract is only a two and a half year deal, which is was pretty telling in its own right, considering players, when they sign contracts at Newcastle, they're usually six years, it's a two and a half year deal for Howe. Takes him up to the 2024, end of the 2023-2024 season, but the question is, do you see him lasting up to that contract expiry, or do you think that how is just going to be used as a bit of an intermediary appointment. Keep us up, get us stable, bring in some good players and then get rid of them and, and, and bring in that top European manager to take us to that next level. Personally, looking at Eddie Howe's CV and what he achieved with Bournemouth, see, if he can do it with a big budget and he can have replicate the same sort of success, why can't Eddie Howe be, become a top European coach or whatever? Exactly. That's what there's, I see as well. there's, there's there's potential for him. He's forty three years old. That he must be one of the youngest managers in the Premier League, and he's already got he's already achieved what he's achieved at that young age. It's it's ridiculously good. So, in my opinion, the potential is there and the ceiling is is limitless to what Eddie Howe could become. I think the two and a half deal is telling in a way that. Maybe the consortium at the back of their mind have gone, is he the man for now and not the future? And if that's the case, then fine. He's got a big part to play in this new era. But for me, I wouldn't be surprised to see him here long term. First and foremost, he's got to keep Newcastle in the Premier League, which is going to take a lot of effort. Yeah, uh, sorry, I was just checking the ages of managers. He's actually the second youngest manager in the Premier League, um, right behind Mikel Arteta, who's 39 years old. Um, so yeah, uh, honestly, if Mikel Arteta is deemed one of these like young geniuses that can take a mm. club to the next level, why can't Eddie Howe? I, I completely agree with you, Dan. Um, I, I wanted to touch on what you said there, Harry, about the the six year contract style thing. I think that was a solely Mike Ashley thing that they wanted, yeah. obviously, to buy younger players, have them with this ginormous contract, so they had that such a big resale. I don't think we're gonna kind of get that with this new um, consortium and the new owners that have been taken over. I'm absolutely happy to be wrong on this. Um, I would love Newcastle to keep a similar mod transfer model for the next couple of years, which is buy young, exciting talents and then like sell them on for really ridiculous money and then build the squad and build it up and maybe a couple of them talents don't actually want to leave and they want to stay and do that lot. I'm really, really happy about that that being promising there and especially when we go on and talk about the director of football he knows exactly how to do that 
I think we'll move on to the director of football now because you, you've led us in beautifully there, Alex. And Michael Emanalo, I think that's it. That's how you pronounce his name. He is, is has been the man who's been touted as the number one target uh, from the consortium. The former director of football at Chelsea, I believe, he worked at Monaco as well. He's believed to have held talks in Saudi Arabia last week over this role, and it seems pretty advanced and and could be done if reports are true. Could be done as early as this week. Uh, the first things I've seen from Emiliano, I can't say before I, I heard his name a couple of days ago, I knew an awful lot about him, but I have done some research into him and I think it would be a very, very smart appointment uh, from for Newcastle, especially looking at the work he's done at Chelsea over the last, um, I think it was 10 or 15 years, unearthed you know, talents before they were even recognised on the, on the global stage, the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Romelu Lukaku and, and Thibaut Courtois. Uh, I just want to have like a general chat on the whole director of football situation because as Newcastle fans, we aren't used to this stuff, are we? All we're used to is a manager no. and then going, Lee, can you can you buy this player for us? And Lee's going, <laughs> mm, uh, no, not really. I'll check with Mike, but he might not get back to us till tomorrow. We're not used to all this. So like this whole chat of like director of football, sporting director, technical director, it's alien to us. It's just very exciting, isn't it, all this? Yeah, it's it's the way modern football's gone. I mean, the manager, well, it's not the manager anymore, it's the head coach and the director of football's in charge of getting the best players for the head coach and you'd like to think they work together, etc. But yeah, it, it's a huge step and I think it's almost as important as the manager in a way. You see some of the way that the director of footballers and directors of sport and whatever you want to call them, some of the teams that they've built and finding hidden gems all over the place for, for lo, little to no money and building squads, I mean, I'm talking off the top of my head, Lille, who beat PSG at the league last year. There's success stories where teams have been built by the, not necessarily the manager, but the person pulling the strings in a football sense. And that is massive for me. Also, I think a lot of people have been quick to point out that the new owners maybe aren't the most experienced in football. It took them a long time to get a manager, etc., etc. It's so vital to have someone who is a football man in there, and I think that a good director of football is was is definitely going to see things quicken up behind the scenes. Harry, when you said that you'd never heard his name, I think that's a really good thing. Like, if you if you haven't heard of him, then he's doing a good job, and like <laughs> then it's Maybe a good it's just thing. My lack of football knowledge, all these. Right. <laughs> yeah, we we want that's a whole other thing for a different podcast, my friend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, like, you only hear about the director of football or football club if they're either doing a really poor job or they're beating above the barrel. The only reason we've heard of Brentford's director of football is because they have this entire weird model over there. We hear about Man United's, we hear about Spurs's, and we hear about Arsenal's all the time because they do, they do really poor jobs. Yeah. And they do really terrible mm-hmm. jobs. We, we never really hear about Ma- uh, Manchester City's. When do we hear about Man City's director of football? Never. We never hear about Leeds's either. I, like I've never heard anyone mention those two clubs as director of football at all because they're doing good jobs in terms of recruitment. Now Newcastle, we're we're gonna be under this microscope because of the Saudi Arabia links, because of the takeover, because who our owners are. That's that's absolutely fine. And as long as he does the job that he did at Chelsea, that he did at Monaco, like. I'm really glad you brought up the Monaco thing because I was going to bring it up and you stole it off me and I'm really, really happy about that <laughs> because he w- he was the original Mac Daddy that built that original beautiful Monaco team that came out of nowhere and everyone was like, oh my God, these guys are really good. 
and it was him. He did that. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's really exciting for me. Yeah, spot on. Director of football is is all very very exciting, and I'm sure that the the, the consortium I have confidence in them that they will bring in the right man for the job, and that's something I've not been able to say about this football club for a very very long time. So exciting times ahead, and we'll, we'll hopefully hear some more updates regarding this whole director of football pursuit. Uh, hopefully by the the next podcast really, but we've got to move on to to matters on the pitch. I know it's quite the best part of Newcastle at the minute is like talking about everything but the actual football so we've got to address it uh, Brighton away a 1-1 draw which on the face of it is a pretty decent result you know a point away Brighton they're a good side they're probably going to be knocking on top 10 maybe even higher this season I would say it's an alright result but look at the actual game and uh, that Callum Wilson incident still I'm still annoyed at the, now that we didn't win that game I know we only had one shot on target, but Robert Sanchez has, has done us dirty and has, I think, cost us two points. But do you see it as a point gained or two dropped? It's almost both, really, because yeah. especially for the first half, Newcastle, were, we were embarrassing. Like, Brighton was just passing us off the park. We couldn't get close to them. It was really... I was embarrassed watching it, to be honest. Absolutely pathetic. We did improve in the second half. We didn't create a lot we weren't we were a little bit better we pressed a little bit higher we got in their faces a little bit more it was it we did the bare minimum in the second half got a goal 1-1 that is probably one of the best red cards you'll ever see from Brighton's goalie <laughs> like because it's unlikely to affect the scoreline that late on and it's it's oh, it's Didn't so you only annoying. get a one match ban as well yeah because it's not violent con- conduct oh my God. so I presume it was just the one game ban and I'm still having nightmares about that John Dreselvey free kick. Oh, right. Just that's, shoot. That's a, that's Lewis Dunk's in goal, for goodness sake. Lewis Dunk oh, I, in I'm goal. The gloves don't off. even fit him. The shirt doesn't fit him. <laughs> this is John Joe Shelby, who at any given opportunity will shoot from the halfway line if he's got an opportunity yeah. to. 30 yards out, free kick. All you've got to do is whack it on target. It'll probably go in. If it goes down the middle, he'll parry it. He's not going to save it. What does Shelby do? Crosses it in. And when have Newcastle won a header in the box this season? Probably once or twice. It, it wasn't even the fact that he crossed it. He floated it. Like, it had oh. nothing on it. There's Brighton centre-backs. Absolutely huge blokes. <laughs> just, like, bang, headed it away. Like, it's just laughing. stupid. Like, if you're going to cross it, drill it low and hard towards the back post, you might get a deflection or something. But just get it on target, man. It, it's just ridiculous. I, what is going through his mind? Absolute, it's nonsense. Do you feel the there's, same then, Alex? Yeah, there's some Sunday league, like, real, really early stereotypes, which is test the keeper early and test the keeper often when he looks like that, where his keepers don't, his gloves don't fit him and he's a bit smaller for the goal and he, he really looks like he shouldn't be there. Test the girl early, test the goal often, do it, do it, do it. Newcastle didn't. Um, Newcastle were terrible. I was on the bus back from an away game um, while I was doing the um, on the whistle match report for Vavil, um for this game, and literally I had like everyone around me just going, "What is he doing?" And I, I was I, I was speechless. I could not understand it. I shade frustration there, um, but I will say, um, Harry, going back to your original point, was it one point lost or two points gained? It was one point gained because oh my god. We were terrible, 
but so were Brighton. They were awful. They were rubbish in the second half, weren't they? And also mm. the penalty that Brighton got as well, I think it was extremely harsh. I mean, first of all, what on earth is Kieran Clock doing, even sticking a leg in at that point? But it's this whole choreographed VAR, referee runs over at the monitor and immediately gives a penalty. If you look at something that's slowed down so much, it is going to look like a foul. Can we please start viewing things in real time? It might mm. give referees a better indication of what the hell is Due to on. the laws of the game, though, it is a, it is a penalty. Um, and same with the fact of um, Sanchez's one-match ban. It is a one-match ban because it was just a straight red card and it's not violent conduct, as Dan said. It is only a one-match ban. But due to the current laws of the game, that is a penalty, no matter how what speed you look at it in. Um, I think the fact that he took literally, like, but he went was over it three and a half like, minutes? He didn't go down straight away. He, like, he, he, stopped, he like, stopped for a minute, didn't he? And then like went, all right, I'll go down yeah. now. So did Callum Wilson. Yeah, but the referee got that wrong. It was, was right. it... Wilson, Wilson went down after the contact because it was only after the contact that forced Wilson's one leg onto the other leg, which is what actually tripped him up. Yeah. Like, if Wilson, if Callum Wilson can stay on his feet, he is staying on his feet, let's be honest. That's an open goal, isn't it? Exactly. And he, he is a striker of a strike's instinct, after all. Uh, for the penalty for me, I mean... The referee the referee expert they have on BT Sport, I can't remember the bloke's Peter name. Peter Walton. But that's him. I don't usually agree with anything he says, to be honest with you. But he said the new rule that came in in the summer was just because there's contact doesn't mean there's a penalty. And for me, the delayed reaction and the fact that the contact was so minimal, I, I, it's soft. Am I am I asking for it at the other end? Absolutely. Oh yeah, I would want it if it was us, but I I, I do think it was it was soft. Like you said, I've seen a lot of the game stuff. It is probably you, a penalty, you said but before, it's just a smack in the before. eye once again for Newcastle. It's been another well. Newcastle were bottom of the league uh, for an hour and a half, which was uh, wasn't wasn't the best on Twitter. But I, I saw that Norwich result. They, they beat Brentford two one, and I wasn't overly concerned. Like Norwich and Brentford, like ideally want to keep Brentford, you know, somewhat down there with us. I yeah. don't think Nor if Newcastle can't finish above Norwich this season, they don't deserve to be in the Premier League. So was Norwich mm. winning really that that catastrophic? I don't think it was. Only because it put us bottom of the league. I yeah. mean, it's a good point you make. We 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 want to be. If you could guarantee Newcastle are going to beat Brighton, then you you want in Norwich to win, right? Because you're closer to to Brentford. I mean, let's let's look at. It was awful the Brighton game, as Alex said, but we're a point better off in terms of the relegation battle. It's five points now instead of six. Yeah, well, you can look to the positives. Five points. It can turn around quickly. Like we've seen. Remember last season, the whole relegation battle with Fulham. We were. Was it we were nine or twelve points clear, and they they got it mm. down to three within a week. They won like two games yeah. in the spin. It, Premier League football can, can change and turn around very quickly. But I've always maintained during this time, like the, the defeatist inside of me is like, oh Newcastle will get relegated. I've seen it all before, but I'm not overly concerned they'll go down. I need to assess them this month really, and see. We'll see where we are this month in terms of these home games in particular. But how worried are you about us us going down, lads? Do you think it think it's going to happen? No, I don't think. It's, I'm not certain, but I think I think there's decent enough players in this squad that a manager who gets them with an identity and a way of playing and a, just tactics really um, can keep us up with fairly with a rel- relative ease gets in and around contention by january sign a few players in january I, I, i'm i'm usually really negative anyone who listens will know but i think we'll stay up relatively comfortably yeah um i i was really looking forward to disagreeing with dan there but i i can't um i don't think we'll get relegated at all 
No, not not a chance. I think there were at least four teams worse than us in this Premier League. That's the thing, and what Newcastle have got, whereas a lot of these teams don't have at the bottom, is a, a big January transfer window. You look at Burnley, who are going to be fighting to keep a hold of the likes of Dwight McNeil. Norwich probably aren't going to spend unless they sell someone, but even if they're selling someone, then it's making them weaker. Uh, the other side's down there as well, likes of Watford. How much have they got to spend? Not a lot. If Newcastle can get in, even if they're three points adrift, um, I'll be very, very confident because it's like Newcastle season's like two parts, isn't it? You've got this like rubbish, mm. just try to get to like, stumble through to January. After January, it's like, all right, this is actually quite exciting. But my only concern is that if we are in like a real big bother relegation, look like we're going to go down, which players from Premier League mid-table clubs we're going to be looking to sign are going to yeah. want to jump ship. But we'll uh, we'll address that um, <laughs> another time, and hopefully it doesn't come to that. But there's going to be no prediction this week because obviously we have Brentford next week. It is international break week. This is a bit of a an impromptu podcast. This one, but we'll be back next week uh, to, to cover the, the the preview of the Brentford game, and I'm sure something. Something else like crazy will have happened. There'll have been another like bust up or so- something will have happened. There'll be another half an hour long podcast. But thanks to the lads for, for coming on as per. But this has been Time Warp brought to you by Vavil UK. Make sure you do check out our website for our comprehensive coverage of the richest club in world football, Newcastle United, as well as the rest of the Premier League, the EFL, and this week in particular, the internationals with England playing this week too. But from us three lads, thank you very much for listening and we will catch you all next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.